Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Books. Uh, Anna, looking forward to this one. You and I had an opportunity to talk to two women who not only are very good at what they do, but both seem to really enjoy what they do. We spoke with Lisa Auger from our acquisitions and cataloging department out of the headquarters branch. And we talked to her a little bit about what she does and how the books are processed. And it was a very insightful conversation with her. And we also spoke with author Kamala Shamsi. Great talking to her. She had some great insight into where her writing ideas come from and and the books that she writes. We'll talk a little bit more in depth with her, but two conversations that were thoroughly enjoyable. Bob, before we get into the interviews, I wanted to ask you real quick because Halloween's coming up and that's a big holiday, especially for the kids. Do you think, um, do you think you're going to dress up this year for the, at the branch for Halloween? You know, it's interesting that you asked me that because we do have several people here at the Hopewell branch who take Halloween very seriously and are very interested in getting dressed up. But so far, I have managed to avoid being part of that dress up crew. But maybe this is the year that I decide to uh, join in the festivities. See, but that's not true because one year you were a good sport and you let, I had little cat ears on. So I was a cat and I stood next to you. So we were a bobcat. So I, I'm happy to be part of any costume that doesn't involve actually having to dress up for that. Although there was actually last, was it last year that I, that I wore the Viking hat? So I guess I did kind of dress up last year because there, there was a, uh, one of our coworkers had an old Viking hat with a long braided golden ponytail. And I wore that for a couple hours. Well, anyway, I think we should both get in the spirit this year. And maybe we can come up with something that we can dress up as. But let's get on with the with the interview because I'm excited to share our interview with Lisa Auger. We've been planning to talk to her for quite a while. So we were finally able to find some time to schedule with her. And I'm excited to share that interview with everybody. And we'll be back to talk to Lisa in a moment. Welcome everyone to this segment of Behind the Books where we get to talk with a staff member from the Mercer County Library System. Today, we have the great pleasure of talking with Lisa Auger, who is from our Acquisitions and Cataloging Department. Lisa, thank you so much for taking time to join us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for asking me. So Lisa, we've talked to a couple of your colleagues who are in your department in acquisitions and cataloging, which I always love sharing stories from this department because I feel like you literally are behind the books. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your role is in the department? Sure, I kind of have my hands in many parts. Um, I order all the children's books. I do all the processing for the children's books. Um, also, I catalog all the most of the fiction books. And then I am the liaison to the IT department. And I also do uh, staff training for um, adding donations or deleting deleting books for weeding. So being in acquisitions and cataloging, you're the 
spot where the books come first before they make it out to the patrons. Can you give us like a little, maybe a little synopsis of the journey of the book from the time the uh, the boxes land in your in your office there until they get here to the branch? Sure. Well, actually, starts before the bo the boxes come. We do the order. You guys select the titles you want either miscellaneous or carts presented to you by our supervising librarian. Um, if the books are in stock, they'll come. The boxes arrive by UPS. So then we open them, we receive them. Um, once we re oh, Before we receive them, we have to barcode them all. We receive them and we separate them by rush, non-rush, fiction, non-fiction. Then the books are put on carts, sent over to our cataloger for non-fiction. Uh, she'll do the fiction rush. I'll do the regular fiction carts come in front of our desk. We catalog them. Um, then the books go over to another staff member who will enter some information as the home location and the prices of the books. Then labels are printed. Then books are um, labeled with a spine label, a pocket label, which has the branch name, the title. Then the books are packed up um, in bins by branch. Um, and sent out to you. And normally a rush cart, I think if you look at our stats, like we get a rush rush titles out maybe in two to three days. I guess it depends. Um, and then non-rush kind of come after rush. It depends. But if the non-rush are kind of not getting paid attention to, we'll go through them and see if holds have started to build and like that. So things kind of move around the room as we receive them. So what would constitute a rush cart? Like what are the what are the items that you would consider a rush? Well, anything that has a hold at the time we receive it, we consider a rush. And then of course, if there's um you know, a popular title that's just come out like when we got backed up a few weeks ago, some of the popular authors that are um automatic orders, um you know, a Jody Colt, those would like get super rushed kind of thing. I kind of love that because you're kind of responding to the needs of mm -hmm. the branches and the communities at the branches. And so you're identifying these are the ones, these are the hot topics. And I know what happens sometimes is like prizes will be announced, like Nobel winners, and they're, and like all of a sudden yes. there's a rush to get those out yeah, to the I, branches. I should mention, I, I guess I, in addition to what's considered a rush, if there's something timely, like if an author won a prize or a seasonal or a holiday coming up even if it doesn't have any holds, like I've got some Christmas books already, I'll put that on a rush cart so the branches could see and plan for the holiday. So those, yeah, that would be in addition to holds. It's interesting too, because the way you describe it, and, and we were talking beforehand, I had the chance to go over a couple of days, a couple of years ago and get to see how it all worked. It's kind of like organized chaos, right? Because yes, you have all exactly. this stuff going on, but everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And your system that you guys have over there is, I mean, it gets the things out right away. You know, people I know, um, the Frederick Bachman book just came out, right? So that was probably one that a lot of people were waiting for, but you guys got it out. So it's like, it, it's really a good team effort over there with everybody kind of doing their part. Yes, I agree. You know, things go from station to station to station. Um, is a circle. <laughs> I will say this, every time I walk by the department, it is a floor. I mean, everyone is just working. <laughs> yeah, and it does get a little little quiet sometimes when people walk in, but we're kind of like in our zone and we, we do try to once in a while talk. <laughs> 
but uh, we don't realize how quiet it is when we're there, just kind of in the zone. <laughs> It is, and my voice is so loud when I come in and I'm, you know, greeting the people in front at administration. And then I realize, I'm like, oh, no, there is, like, people, like, focused over here. I'm like, I need to bring it down a notch. It's probably quieter sometimes by us than in the actual library, the actual branch itself. So, Lisa, what was your background? How did you end up working in um, at the Mercer County Library System? It's actually kind of interesting. So my path, I didn't go to school for a library. I was studying business and I was commuting to college. I went to school in New York at a city university of New York. Um, and while I was in school, I started working at a company at the same time. And the company actually had a corporate training program for programming. Now we're talking the late eighties now. So I went to school then for computer programming and I was a mainframe computer programmer from mid to late 80s until 1999. So obviously when I started, I didn't have a family. So in 1999, I left work before the year 2000 um, and I concentrated on my family. So I had a son already. My daughter was born in 2000. Then when she started getting a little older and I needed to get out of the house, I went started going to the bookstore all the time. Now I should say we visited the library when the kids were younger. So from the bookstore, I was part-time, and then I decided somehow growing up, the library was very comforting to me. I wouldn't say I read a ton, but just we would go every half days we had on Wednesdays. So from the bookstore, Barnes & Noble, I then applied uh, to the library, and I worked circulation at West Windsor for two and a half years. Then when I needed a full-time position, I was just... Um, interviewing at different branches and then this position came up in acquisitions and I got it in 2008 and so I've been I've been with the library since 2006 so I think from my IT background and I don't know just the love of books kind of drew me in to the library so it's kind of an interesting path. <laughs> it combines all the things that you seem to enjoy doing all in in one so you kind of find found the almost perfect situation. I think so. Yeah, I really, I really do. I mean, I do miss sometimes being out in the branch with the people sometimes, but um, this works out well. I really, I do like it a lot. <laughs> do you think there's something like when you, cause you, you know, here you were in the corporate business world and now you're in the public library world. Is there something like when you're talking to people about working at the library that you find um, that, that maybe they don't understand or they don't get or some some uh, stereotype that they might think that the library is like, like do you find yourself explaining like what actually happens at a public library now? I do. And I guess maybe before I even, well, I started to learn about the great programmings that libraries have when my kids were little, but it's so much more. I mean, besides, you know, your materials and getting any information, I'm amazed at the programming we have from like being clubs to resumes to, I mean, it's just everything. Yeah. And I don't think, I think people just think it's like a, maybe not now, maybe in the past, like it's a very sleepy place to go to get a book. Um, but that's not it at all. I mean, it's the center of a community and um, it's amazing what everybody's doing. 
Well, I love the part that you are contributing to the Mercer County Library System, and I know that you and the rest of the, the staff and acquisitions and cataloging are just working uh, to get those materials out to everybody. Lisa, it has been absolutely lovely chatting with you, and I thank you again for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you. This was great. It's good to see you guys, too. <laughs>
behind that name change. Also, Anna, one of the things, you know, we've been doing the last few episodes, updating some people on some new things that our author friends that we've had on in the past have put out. And uh, two that I wanted to mention this time around, one is author Darcy Hanna, who people may have remembered we talked to uh, about a year ago, and she's also a librarian and a writer, and she has the third book in her Beacon Bake Shop series coming out, Murder at the Blueberry Festival. That's out now. And our good friend, Maddie Frost, has a couple of things out. One to keep an eye out at your, for at your local branch, Iguana Be a Dragon, her picture book, and also uh, the book that we talked to her about, Let's Draw Fun Animals in Seven Simple Steps, where she kind of goes through the process and shows you how to draw an animal, which I would be interested in seeing that because I think even with the help of somebody like Maddie Frost, I'd still be very challenged to be able to draw anything that looks even remotely like an animal. Maddie makes it easy. So we do highly recommend for those of you out there who are interested in honing your drawing skills, no matter your age, you can draw fun animals with Maddie Frost. And we do have all the books that Bob just mentioned in our collection at mcl.org. And now we will be back in a moment with our author interview where we will talk to Kamala Shamsi. We'll be back with that in a moment. the Women's Prize in Fiction and well-known for her 2017 award-winning novel, Home Fire, Kamala Shamsi was born in Karachi, where she grew up. She has a BA in creative writing from Hamilton College in Clinton, New York, and an MFA from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Her eighth book, Best of Friends, just released on September 27th. Kamala, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on. And congratulations on the new release, Best of Friends. Um, it, which do you mind giving our listeners just a brief overview of the story? Um, I've been interested for a long time in writing um, a novel about childhood friendship, which is a pe peculiar thing somewhere between adult friendship and a sibling relationship. Um, or as my sister said to me when we were in our 20s, she said, she said, you know, the friends we make as adults are our friends because we have something in common. But our childhood friends are our friends because they've always been our friends. Um, and so I wanted to take two, two girls who become friends when they're four years old. I mean, they don't remember why they're friends. Um, and when we first meet them, they're 14 years old. Their names are Mariam and Zahra, and they're living in Karachi in 1988. Um, and what matters to them most is that they both love George Michael, you know, and that they, believe they can share secrets with each other but it's also that moment in life where adolescence is happening hormones sexuality secrets are starting to come in um, so we start to see the first shadows in the relationship and then the novel will there'll be an event which is quite significant to their lives um, and then the novel will move forward 30 years and they're in london and they're in their mid 40s um, and they're both very successful women they're quite powerful in different ways and those differences between them now do matter they're relevant you know george michael is not enough of a glue to bind you together um and it's what you do when you really really love someone and have for a long time and always relied on them but the differences between you are no longer things that you can ignore 
for me, it's especially the first part of the book, just the 1988, the 1980s references. And I was about that age at that time. And I think about those friendships I had. And I think that you, you bring up a very important uh, concept of those friends that we had. And some, some of them I'm thinking of, I knew from when I was a child and it was just because our parents knew each other. So I love that idea of them kind of growing up together and it's so true about those childhood friendships because they know things about you that your adult friends don't know. They saw you as a child. They saw your family. They saw your parents. They, they know your roots. Um, and there's some inter intimate details there, which I think is present in, in the book, uh, Best of Friends as well. Yeah, I mean, there are ways in which as adults, we're doing reinvention all the time, right? And you, you arrive in a new place with a new group of people and you think, oh, you know, I don't like who I was in that, or this aspect of my character, I'm going to try and overcome it. And your childhood friends, they just know every stage of your life, who you were. And it's so crucial what you said is they know who you were in the context of your family, because that's so formative about who we are and how we respond to things, even as adults. And it's only your childhood friends who really know that. Is there a part of this book that's kind of based on your own memories and, and friendships? It's in, based on the timing, timing and where it's set. Is there any bit of you in there as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the world and the context is very much based on me. I mean, the, they're growing up in Karachi at a certain age, at a certain moment, going to the same school I did. And they live in London. Actually, where I place them is actually sort of my actual physical apartment in London is halfway between where the two of them live in present day London. Um, so, but the way I think about it is the context is mine, but I filled it with specific details and characters who are not me largely because my life consists of reading books and writing them and you can't really write a novel of that. Um, but, but in terms of friendship, I mean, I do ha still have very many childhood friends and I'm struck by the fact that the friends I've made as an adult you know, they come from a similar world to me in a certain kind of way. They're writers, they're academics, they're journalists. And if I look at my childhood friends, I mean, my very, very closest friend from childhood, um, who is in fact not a girl, but a boy, um, he works in New York for Morgan Stanley, you know, which is pretty far away from being a novelist. But he's still the person who knows me better than anyone else. And there's certain things, if they happen, particularly within my family, he would be the first person I would call. And he would probably drop everything, right, to to be there for you, no matter what it was, right? I mean, that's that's what that bond is. It's mm -hmm. it's just so um, intricate. And one of the things about Miriam and, and uh, Zara that I thought was so interesting when you took it to the second part of the book, which takes them to contemporary London, um, and here they are in these very different paths. I mean, they're still friends but you have one who is the civil liberties attorney and the other one who is doing something that does like the social well, app know, where- Yeah, she's a venture capitalist, but works with tech a lot, yeah. And they they kind of have these contradictory pathways. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought that was interesting kind of combining that friendship and that uh, tension that was there. Yeah, and that, you know, that's there from a very early stage. So even when they're, when they're young in Karachi, you marry them, her, sort of vision of the future, she's going to take over her family business, which, and they're a very well-off, well-connected family. Whereas Zara, whose family is, you know, from of a more modest background, for her, she wants to be successful. She And she sees Mariam's life and likes a lot of what she sees there. But for her, the answer is to get out, to leave Pakistan, to go and make your own future somewhere else, really quite far from your family and, and you know, to, to create that. 
um, but they 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 have families who see the world very differently. And it's the start of the novel is at this crucial moment where, you know, based on actual historical events, where dictatorship in Pakistan ends and this 35 year old woman, Benazir Bhutto, comes to power. Um, and even that they see differently because Zara's thinking democracy, this is amazing. And Mariam is thinking a woman succeeding in a man's world. That is amazing. One of the things I love about your writing, too, is the way that you have the relationships and thinking back to home fire, you know, just the way everybody's kind of intertwined and you build on the relationships. Is that something that when you're that you're conscious of when you're writing and, and building these relationships between the people? Yeah, I mean, I think a novel sort of really lives and dies in the intimacy of the relationship between characters. And, and what I've always wanted to do with my work is is to have a broader sweep of things. So I'm always sort of conscious of the world in which people are living. Um, and how that world is affecting their choices and their possibilities. But when that, within that, I need the characters to feel very real. And I, you know, it, I'm not writing a work of nonfiction. I'm not writing a polemic or a, I'm writing a, a work of fiction. So it has to, centrally, you have to believe in these characters. And also I believe in them. I mean, you know, when I start writing, I, I sort of, in an ideal state, I almost forget about myself and I'm, seeing and hearing them move through the world and i want to know what's going to happen to them and you know i i'm one of those writers i don't plot intricately before i start writing and a lot of the sort of propulsive action of the novel comes from me wanting to know what's going to happen to them next and sometimes being dismayed by the directions in which they're inevitably going and sometimes being surprised in nice ways well and that was one of the things in in home fire that i really enjoyed too was the style that you used where you went from one character, led into the next, into the, and all five were kind of intertwined, so that at the end we have everybody kind of, kind of coming together, and and it's just a, it's a style that you you don't see often, but that you've done very well. Well, thank you. I mean, even in this, I wanted, I wanted it to be very clear. This is a friendship of two women who have, they don't have full self knowledge, and in some ways they don't have full knowledge of each other. And so the narrative keeps shifting. So you'll have one person's perspective and then the other so that you get a real sense of of how they're looking at themselves and each other. And and I really want to leave it to the reader to decide, you know, do they agree with Zara's version of Mariam or do they agree with Zara's version of Zara? Or is the truth somewhere in between or does it shift in moments? And, you know, I'm so interested in the way that we aren't entirely knowable either to ourselves or to anyone else. I, on that note, um, and you talked about this when you were kind of giving a little elevator pitch of the of the book, um, you're talking about the different perspectives and you mentioned about a point in the book where it's a turning point and it, it's a very poignant moment in their lives. And that is a moment, and I don't want to give any spoilers or anything, but that was a moment, and I don't think it gives a lot away, but I think it's something as being a young woman where I feel like I had been in that situation. and. And I felt like I was there reading it. And I, I just felt how I'm like, this is so unfortunate because I know there's gonna be so many women who read this and there might be men as well who read this and be like, but I do think there's a power thing going on there. And it, it was visceral for me reading that segment. Um, it's, you know, I mean, again, we won't give it too much, but there's, there's a phrase that is used in the book, one of them uses it about that moment and it's, or an expression, which is girl fear. And when I talk to other women about this book or when they come to me, they, they will go to that and, and say, we know that moment where you're in a situation and it's fine one instant. And then something very subtle 
or slight happens. It may just be an expression or a gesture. And suddenly some danger switch in your brain goes on. And the whole, the whole event becomes something very, very different. And, and there are these moments afterwards where we're thinking, you know, was that in my head? Was it, did it really happen? You know, and that, that questioning, and, but also that knowledge that it, this girl fear lives inside us and it can be so easily activated and, and so hard, in fact, to deactivate once, once that switch goes on. Well, congratulations on a fabulous release and we wish it much, much success. And we encourage our listeners to, uh, to check it out and read it. And that is Best of Friends, which was just released um, on the 27th of September. And uh, we've been talking with Kamala Shamsi and thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. It's been truly a pleasure. Thank you both very much. We are back to wrap up this episode of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Kamala Shamsi for taking the time to talk to us. And a yet another guest from across the pond. I think that's five people now that we've talked to from across the Atlantic. But uh, just shows you that Behind the Books has is far-reaching. I enjoyed that conversation we had with her. We both have had the opportunity to read her books. And uh, she's a very good writer. And she taught, touches on some very interesting subjects. And as we mentioned in the conversation with her, I really enjoy the way she takes the relationship aspect of the books and kind of ties everything together. It's it's a skill that not everyone has when it comes to writing, and she does a great job with that. I enjoy talking to her kind of about the the kernel that kind of uh, was her impetus for starting the book or for for writing her most recent book, Best of Friends. And just looking at friendships, childhood friendships and what those mean and their depth um, and just how they progress throughout life, um, those childhood friendships that we have. So I related to her book quite a bit because she was a teenager or the character was a teenager in the book around the same time I was. And just kind of looking at that historical view of everything, especially when you think about it, it was happening in Pakistan in 1988. I mean, that's when the first women prime minister was named and it really was this uh, birth of democracy for Pakistan. So I just, I thought it was an interesting book. I thought she did a great, I think it's an interesting book. I think she does a great job wrestling those ideas and putting them down in these, this historical part of the story, as well as covering contemporary London. And then in our conversation with Lisa Auger, we had the opportunity to kind of get the roadmap of how a book gets to the library and they do great work over there at um, acquisitions and cataloging. I think now we've talked to a few people on the staff over there and we kind of mentioned to Lisa when we were talking to her that it's kind of like organized chaos over there, but they, they have a system down, they get the books out. And the thing that I, I wasn't aware of that you probably were, but how they, how they prioritize the books that people have on hold. I had never realized that before. So if there's a book that, you have on hold and you're waiting for, you can know that the people at acquisitions and cataloging are working their hardest to make sure that book gets to you as soon as it, it can. I really, I think about all the interviews we've had with people in that department. And I just, I've, I just think it's always so eye-opening um, the amount that they do 
the amount of materials that are coming in, the amount that they're processing, they're cataloging. I mean, even when Lisa was talking about every, all those steps that it goes through before it even hits the van to get out to the branches, um, it really is a detailed process. And I wasn't kidding. They are, whenever I'm over at the headquarters branch, they are working and they are just, they're just getting those materials out. And it's, it really is an impressive operation. And with that, Anna, we'll wrap up this edition of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Lisa Auger and also Kamala Shamsi for taking time to join us and talk to us about what they do. It was another fun episode. I enjoyed it. And we'll, be, we'll try it again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Bob. I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narasek. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoyk.